E-S-N-Y. We have made it to the time of the year where sports is at a premium. Home run derby night, the night before the MLB All-Star game. There's nothing going on. Absolutely nothing. Well, you got your NBA Summer League and your NBA nuts will wax poetic about what's happening in Vegas. Earthquakes aside. And of course, your baseball nuts will tell you that MLB is doing better than it's ever done. Even though these home runs are absolutely ridiculous. Rob Manfred, uh, I don't care what information is telling you that the home run helps the game. I I don't know where you're getting this info. I know chicks dig the long ball, Tommy Glavin. But it's gone past a point of absurd. You see the record-breaking home run numbers. Who wants to watch a baseball game where it's all or nothing? Where it's home run to strikeout? Can we get some action on the base paths? Can we get a great right field assist? I mean, can we get a triple? It's absurd. But anyway, speaking of the long ball, it's time for the home run derby. It's the all-star break. The Mets and the Yankees couldn't be more different. Mets are sitting in fourth place with a record of 40 and 50. 13 games behind the Atlanta Braves. My oh my. Yankees. Ecstasy. 57 and 31. Sitting pretty. Only the Dodgers have a better record, better percentage in baseball as we sit at the All-Star break. Reports have surfaced telling us that the Mets may be interested in adding some arms to the bullpen. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Brody. I, I could understand if Edwin Diaz was getting it done. I could understand if Edwin Diaz was nailing it down, and you just needed one or two arms. I could understand that. Their lineup is great. I wouldn't say great. They got a good lineup. Alonzo, who we predicted to have over 30 home runs before the season, and getting we were getting laughed at left and right. Uh, what do you hit, his 30th? I think he's at 30 right now. Starting, starting pitching has been a disappointment, but it's still a plus for the team. It's about the bullpen. If they did have a good bullpen, this would be a good team. So I understand the thought. But the problem is your closer, Edwin Diaz, isn't getting it done. And I don't see that changing. So we'll see. We'll see if the chair-throwing Brody actually goes after some relievers when he should sell immediately. As soon as the the market dictates he should. Home run derby. We got Pete, Polar Bear Pete Alonzo, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Matt Chapman, Josh Bell, Alex Bregman, Ronald Acuna Jr., Jacques Peterson, Carlos Santana, the guitar master himself. You know what? I'm going to go with Pete. Listen, when you pick a winner in these things, you never know. I mean, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that you know who you know what you're doing when you're picking out of the home run derby. 
But usually when you pick pick a guy, you want to pick a guy with size. You want to pick a guy who doesn't exert a lot of energy when swinging the bat. That's why I don't like Jack Peterson. He's got a long motion. He's got a long swing. He's a smaller dude. That's why I throw Jock out immediately. I think he was in last year's or two years ago. This is not his first rodeo. Bregman has a shot for sure. Chapman too. Vlad, I could see it. But Alonzo, he's so freaking big. His swing is so seamless that if I'm going to pick anyone, I'll go with Alonzo. And look at this. His 2019 salary, $555,000. Ooh. And with the million-dollar prize money, that's not bad. I can understand why he wants to be in it now. He'll make two salaries worth if he wins the Derby. So that's tonight. Knicks Summer League, they're taking a break tonight. Not going on tonight. Um, next game is on Tuesday, July 9th, tomorrow, against the Raptors. And then they finish on Wednesday, July 10th, against the Lakers. This is where we transition to the Knicks. R.J. Barrett. Should we overreact to R.J. Barrett? Probably not. But we're not seeing good things here. I mean, to spin it and pretend that nothing matters in Summer League is completely ridiculous. I don't even know his stats offhand. I mean, it's absurd. His shooting percentage is awful. His turnover to assist ratio, terrible. He just doesn't look like a shooter. That's the issue. And for a number three pick, that's a problem. Barrett shot. 3 of 15 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3-point range, and 1 of 4 from the free throw line with 8 turnovers against just 8 points. Don't know how many assists he had. He's a decent passer. He was off the mark a little bit in terms of a couple passes. Not worried about that, but he's a decent passer. He sees the floor solidly when he's not making his move. The problem with Barrett so far... It's not the statistics. Don't worry about the stats. What I'm looking for in these games is what he can do one-on-one when he's looking to score. Is he beating his man off the dribble? What's his first step look like? Does he have a mid-range game? Is, Is everything flowing? And the answer to all those questions is no. He is overthinking things. He is in his own head. That is concerning. For a kid to come to New York, be the sole focus, need to be the superstar, to see that he is in his head over a span of two games, not one, is troubling. I wasn't a huge Barrett fan. I wanted John Morant. Even if they got the number one pick, I I probably would have said I probably would have taken Zion. But John Morant, to me, was that guy in this point point guard-driven league. Top two is what I was after. They got three. It was really upsetting. 
I'm not a huge Barrett guy. I think he's a is sol- yeah, I think he could be a solid complement at the NBA level. He his shot isn't great, and a three point shot is at a premium in this league. It's it's value. It's everything about this league. Watch him. Watching him over the first two games. Basketball, it's an instinctive game. You can't think about things too much. You gotta take what the defender gives you. But when Barrett sized up his defender in ISO, he predetermined what he's gonna do every time. Even when passing the ball. He would dribble a little bit, look to take a step back shot, dribble a little bit, try to get his man on the run, try to beat him with a first step to the hoop, to the rack, he would never, he would predetermine what he was going to do. And it was always to the hole, to the rack, or an outside shot. Where's the mid-range game? Where's the taking what the defender gave you? It, everything was methodical, measured, and 100% battle. All I kept hearing about was Barrett's athleticism is, is tremendous. I didn't see that. I don't see that. If his athleticism is tremendous, he should be able to at least beat one guy off the dribble with his first step. And I haven't seen that. Has he beaten one guy off the dribble with a first step? No. And that is concerning to me. I think his, I think his defense is going to be a lot better than people think immediately. He sees the floor well. But... In terms of a 20-plus point score, something the Knicks need, looking at their roster, Barrett has to be that guy. I just don't see it. And it's not an overreaction of the Summer League. It's not an overreaction of the statistics. It's playing against Summer League competition and not, not once beating his guy off the dribble. Not once showing a glimpse of, oh, man, okay, here we go. That mid-range turnaround fade away with the left looked pretty solid, and this is why he's number three in the draft. This is what he could build on. We had we didn't see one of those, and that's concerning to me. On the other side, Brazdikas, Ignas, Brazdikas. What's his nickname? Iggy. I think it's Iggy. Like Iguodala, who told all of us no one was going to the Knicks. And the son of a bitch was right. Brazdikas has no fear. The kid showed no fear. And his fundamental game is on point. When he catches the ball and is in a triple threat, he's lefty too. I didn't realize he was lefty, by the way. So they got Randall, Brazdikas, and Barrett as lefties. Maybe someone else. I don't even know. But Brazdikas could shoot the ball. And we saw him beat guys off the dribble. We saw him go against the grain again uh, on a pick and roll, beat a guy off the dribble baseline. We saw him hit that three. I forget how many seconds were left. Uh, eight seconds, maybe. I don't know, around 10 seconds. Hit that three, dribbling to his left, pulling up, fading forward a little bit while in the air, releasing it at, a, at its highest point, hitting the three to make it go to overtime. The kid has no fear. You know, and this is the second year in a row. It looks like the Knicks' second-round pick 
is outperforming the first-round pick. Mitchell Robinson to Knox last year. Ziggy to R.J. Barrett this year. How many points did Ziggy have? Iggy, not Ziggy. At least I think, you know, I could be wrong easily. But he had 25-plus points by far. R.J. Barrett's pretty much lone highlight was the alley-oop. The three-point three shot at the top of the key and the alley-oop here. Um, not much to it, to be honest. It's good for SportsCenter, good for Twitter, but not much to it. Iggy, down three, 30 seconds left. Has the ball, and you know he's going to shoot the whole time. Uses Mitch as a screen, dribbles left, 24 seconds. I said 8 to 10 before, 24 seconds left. Confidence, no fear, doesn't think, and he's tough. His father was an MMA fighter, which I didn't know either. The lovely Doris Burke and Mark Jones let us know uh, last night on the broadcast. But it, it's interesting. It's interesting. The whole world's going to react, but at the same time, the whole world's going to tell everybody not to overreact. I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. It's not about the statistics. It's about how concerning it is that Barrett is not showing any glimpses. Here he is right here, top of the key, shot clock winding down, right dribble to the left, using the screen, pull up. That was in the beginning of the game, straight away three. And he, the way I look at Barrett is, he's a, I think he's a hard worker, so I think he's going to develop into something solid. But I think it's going to take a lot of work. I think it's going to take a hell of a lot of work. And I don't expect it for another three or four years. The field goal percentage bugs me. It's not going to be great in year one. I think he could develop a post game. Developing that mid-range game is going to be Barrett's key. The athleticism, of course he's athletic. But I don't see off-the-charts athleticism. I don't see that explosion on the first step. Where he, if he's going to develop into a 20-plus point scorer... Is, it's gonna be it's gonna be done through craftiness. He's gonna have to outthink the defender. Mid-range, post up, 15 feet away, along the left baseline to elbow to straight. That's gonna be his game. So, don't go crazy, but it's 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 frustrating. It's unique. It's interesting. Finally, third topic of the day, the New York Jets. Really not much going on, so let's go back to Old Faithful. The New York Jets. Training camp in a couple weeks. Players ready to bust out during the 2019 season. Now, we're not talking Quinn and Williams. We're not talking rookies. For the most part, we're talking youngsters, for sure. If you're looking at it on YouTube right now, you see a picture of Marcus May. So, there's one guy. But, when you look at this team, 
they are still extremely deficient along the offensive line and four-man conventional pass rush. This hurts the production of everyone else. Jamal Adams, as scary as it may sound, literally has a long way to go in terms of uh, potential. As great as he's playing, he's, he didn't receive... He was the best safety in the league last year, in my eyes. But because of that lack of four-man conventional pass rush and the lack of edge talent, instead of, instead of a unanimous best safety in the league through production and statistics, he had to settle for second team. Marcus May is the first guy. All Marcus May has to do is stay healthy. That's it. He just needs to stay healthy. When you look at May and Adams, the Jets' safety position is set. But, interestingly enough, they play two completely different positions. Free safety and strong safety in in the NFL are two completely different positions. This was not the case in the 80s and the 70s. A lot of the time it was too deep all the time. Nowadays, that strong safety is Superman. He does everything. He's become so valuable to the roster because he shuts down matchups. He needs to be quick enough to guard a running back out of the backfield or a vertical threat tight end and strong enough to help run support or body up a big tight end like Gronkowski, who should stay retired, by the way. Stay retired, Gronk. Party. Meet up a barstool. Those fellas. Don't worry about the NFL. You, you, you won enough chips. Just go. Stay away. Marcus May. He played 16 games his rookie year. I think he picked up uh, two picks or one. Only played six last year. Staying healthy is the most important attribute in the NFL. It's not an excuse. It's part of football. You have to stay healthy. If he does... Jets' safety tandem is one of the best in the land. Number two, here's a surprising one. Brandon Copeland, 28 years old. The University of Pennsylvania product picked up five sacks last year. Now, Ja'Kai Polite is the hot name right now. Third-round pick, McCagnin, the kid who was asked, when you look at yourself on film, how do you think you're going to improve at the NFL? His response... A dandy, a classic. I've never watched myself on film. That was his response. Personally, I would never draft a kid who's never watched himself on film. It's so telling of the entire package. But hey, what do I know? Copeland still has a, a, a tremendous leg up on Polite, opposite Jordan Jenkins. Jordan Jenkins, he came through in a big, I think he had a career high in sacks a year ago. He's more of a run support guy. He's not the athletic edge man they need in sub packages. Polite is. Copeland is kind of in between both. He's okay in run support. He has decent athleticism, but he's workmanlike. He's already 28. Ravens scooped him up after the 2013 draft as an undrafted guy. Uh, who signed him next? The Colts, the Titans, and then the Lions. Picked him up. No traction there. And the Jets snagged him last summer. Ended with five sacks. 
if Copeland could step up and build off that five-sack season last year, the base could look like this. Jordan Jenkins and Copeland on the edge in the base. Polite and Copeland with Jenkins as a third guy in the sub. We'll see. Copeland, I, I like him this year. He's no guarantee. He's absolutely the, the greatest wild card on this list. Next up, Daryl Roberts. The seventh round pick of the New England Patriots. He's really, he started as a special teams guy, worked his way as a dime nickel guy, as that six foot, he, he feels shorter than six foot, by the way, but he's six foot, listed as six foot, great hips, can play the outside and can play the slot. That's the key. That's how he worked his way from special teams to the dime, to the nickel. And now with the lack of depth, he's the starter. This man is the starter, opposite True Man Johnson. Brian Poole, Brian Poole, he, he is the slot man. He is the nickel man. Roberts could also play it. But those are the three. And Dale Roberts, this is his season. If he doesn't build off last year, 10 games started, solid production, he'll continue to just be an extra guy the rest of his career. This is his season. He has a chance to bust out. Finally, Quincy Anunua. Quincy Anunua? What? Dude already amassed 800 yards and 55 receptions a few seasons ago. Why Quincy? Well, because there's another level Quincy can get to. He could easily be 1,100-yard, 75-reception guy. He has to stay healthy. Of a possible 80 games in the NFL, this man has played only 40. That's a 50% clip. If he stays healthy... He's going to have a huge year. Robbie Anderson is that straight-line burner with no hips. His route running lacks a little bit. Crowder could route run, but he's a slot guy. He's the X-Factor. He'll take some handoffs. He'll be involved in the jet sweep. Anunwa is probably their most valuable, other than Darnold, obviously, and other than the offensive line as a unit, Anunwa is their most important player on offense. Why? Because he is their lone possession guy who could do it all. He's a monster. Built like a tight end. I think labeled as a tight end under Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey used a lot of four wide receiver sets. But it was basically three and one. It was basically three wideouts and one tight end. Anuno was just the tight end. They don't have anyone other than Anunwa who could do the possession type stuff underneath. You know, the five yard slant. The eight-yard bench on the sideline. Robbie could do a little bit of that, but Anunwa is the, the over-the-middle guy that nobody can replace. Deontay Burnett, he's more of a mold of an outside guy, like Robbie. Uh, Peak, again, more of in the mold of an outside guy. Uh, some of the undrafted guys, like Dorch. Dorch is a, he's so, he's a special teams guy. He's an X-Factor guy, like Crowder. Anunwa is irreplaceable. And if he stays healthy, he will bust out completely. And there you go for today. For Home Run Derby Day, 
perhaps the deadest day in the sports calendar year. February is usually the deadest month. You know, you don't get to March Madness just yet. NFL just ended. NHL and NBA aren't quite near the home stretch. February is probably the deadest month. The deadest singular day is the day after the All-Star game, Wednesday. So I just corrected myself within the matter of 30 seconds. But a close runner-up is Home Run Derby night. I mean, if you're into the Home Run Derby, God bless you. But if you're not, there's no Yes Network. There's no SNY. Michael Kay's not talking to you, tucking you in at night, even though Michael Kay's got a got a battle right now with uh, the procedure he had done on his throat. Uh, it's amazing. Sterling NK. Sterling hadn't missed a game since 1897. Finally misses a game, then it hits K as well. The, the Yankees injuries bugs, the injury bug, it's not limited to the players. Michael K. Sterling, feeling it. Actually, I don't know what happened with Sterling, but K. K's feeling it. There's no Gary Cohen making you feel nice and warm after work. There's no Keith Hernandez. Ron Darling. It's three days of loneliness. You'll have to deal with Joe Buck on Tuesday night. Until next time, Sable Radio.